Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're doing uh, another podcast panel here at uh, San Diego, but it's uh, quiet time because uh, we're recording this on Wednesday before preview night. And uh, I'm very happy to be here. And uh, it's uh, me, John Suntress from uh, the Word Balloon podcast. And uh, we've got uh, John and Kathleen Mayo from uh, Comic Book Page podcast. And it's good to see you guys, as always. Yeah, good to see you, too. And I'm glad we could do this kind of before convention gets started because, man, once this thing gets going, I get tired real quick. This convention has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm glad you said it, man, because you're a lot younger than me, and I'm like, I'm creaking. And yeah, I, I know, I agree. My my mind is tapioca, and I will do my best today, but I, I don't promise anything we beyond walked, having fun. We walked around uh, last night, and it's, again, a full 24 hours plus before the convention's going. They're building the South Park stuff over in front of the, the high, uh, Hilton Gas Lamp. They've got the Amazon stuff for Man in the High Castle and one or two other things. Then behind the convention center, they had a bunch of stuff being built for, uh, I guess, the FX stuff. Uh, just it's, it's amazing the amount of construction and, and whatnot that happens in the immediate, like, 48 hours before the convention kicks and off. And they tear it down in hours on Monday oh, morning because I've stayed beyond Sunday a couple times, and it is fun Seeing that, because literally by one or two o'clock in the afternoon on Monday, you would have no idea that Comic Con just happened. Yeah, it is a ghost town. You, you walk down a thing for for like an early breakfast or whatever, and it's like, oh, they're tearing that stuff down. You come back, it's like, where did he go? Yeah. Once or twice, we've gone out to Cabrillo National Monument on the Tuesday before Con, okay. and you know these big wraps on the sides of the hotels, sure. and they look huge when you're right here. Well, as the crow flies, Cabrillo's about five miles from here, and you can make out what some of those logos on the hotels are for these wraps. I wonder how that teardown goes. Is it like one big adhesive, like like a (laughs) bandage? You know, I mean, that's awesome. I'd like to be there for the unpeeling. They get some guys bungee jumping from the top, just (laughs) rappelling down, taking the whole thing down. Can I have the NBC logo, man? That would look awesome on my garage door. (laughs) It's just crazy how how literally big the advertising is on these things they they wrap the hotels some of the hotels the elevators are taken over i mean this as a media and marketing opportunity is such a a big thing these days they changed the face of the city for a few days oh sure literally absolutely i wanted to see i'm, I'm thumbing through the the program because as as we talk about these wraparounds i, I noticed i was talking to ed cato who's got the captain action license mm. and he's with uh, bonfire okay advertising he was telling me that um, – because I said at the time, I'm like, you know, I was so burnt out from flying. I, I didn't even pay attention to what's on the hotels. And he said, you know, it's mostly TV. And I also noticed that like – It is. Um, so I was wondering, you know, yeah, how because I keep hearing as the con was approaching that there weren't going to be as many films and film companies kind of doing their full haulage presentation. And I the know that there were – Conan, Once Upon a Time – uh, the Kiefer Sutherland something survivor, which the side face to that is sounds political and is your next really president funny. won't be elected. I think is the phrase. And I'm like, <laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> 
I noticed uh, Emerald City for NBC yeah. yes. and Timeless yeah. for NBC by yeah. by Tin Fish. I had my uh, mm-hmm. my fish taco lunch that I always look forward to. Uh, and across the street from that would have been the Suicide Squad stuff they're setting up at the Hard Rock. Oh, so awesome. that would be one of the the few movies. Okay, films. and that makes mm-hmm. sense. And then also, I think in that basic area is where they're putting the Game of Thrones stuff. Okay, so HBO. A, yeah, a mm-hmm. lot of this they're they're advertising stuff that is very much centered to us as an audience, even if it's not comic books per se. It's oh, sure. still stuff we're very much interested. Oh, yeah, I'm very curious about the uh, Wonder Woman invisible jet. I think it's supposed to be the cockpit. Yeah, but are you expecting like a clear kind of plexiglass like, that would like be Super Friends? Awesome. I'm kind of expecting a unveiling of nothing and going, here it is. Yeah. I figure it's one of the two. I'm hoping she's right, but I'm, I'm expecting hoping you're right. Too, you're but right. I'm, expe- I'm expecting a big unveiling of nothing. Okay. Well, it's, so it's, we, and there's also a very special force field that would appear as though there's nothing there, but it's there. Yeah. yeah oh, it's there. So I'm kind of bummed about the Wonder Woman panel. My friend Susan Eisenberg uh, got denied and uh, wasn't even invited. And if anyone has been carrying the torch playing Wonder Woman for the longest time, hey, love you, Linda Carter, but Susan's got her beat by like, you know, four times as many years. I mean, you know, Susan's done it for like 12 years and Linda did it for like three. Yeah. 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 Not cool. I mean, no. it's all about the movie and I get that. Yeah. But really, I mean, you know, it's kind of like Kevin Conroy as uh, Batman. You know, honestly, I mean, Susan's always been Wonder Woman for well, a generation of fans. And there's an aspect of pay tribute to the the, the history of the actors and stuff that is yeah. – have built up this stuff to get us where we are today. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing, man. And, and yeah, I really think that those Warner animated shows, man, I'll tell you, for I know a good generation of the people I interview that, you know, that was their entry point to comics was Batman animated series, Superman animated yeah. series, and Justice League. I think without the Bruce Tim Paldini stuff, yeah. we would be looking at a different industry right now. Totally. And not a better one because totally. I think they really understood the core of, of Batman, of Superman, of the Justice League. And made it so accessible, so exciting for a whole generation, you know, much like the Fox X-Men cartoon did for, for Absolutely. people. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, again, every generation kind of has their cartoon. For me, it was Super Friends. Sure. You know, and – I was at the tail end of that. For, and and, and I, got, I got the Saturday morning and afternoon reruns of – Spider-Man, uh, the Bashki uh, Spider-Man and yeah, Marvel superheroes. Yeah. And it's so funny now how people just crap on the Marvel superheroes. And it's like, yeah, but they're using real comic book art in that, which. And stories uh, too. I absolutely. Think. Oh, totally, man. The Space Phantom is, uh, the, the Avengers 2 is totally done in a, a Hulk cartoon. Yeah. There's, uh, God, the, the first appearance of the X-Men is in a Submariner cartoon. And it's when uh, they took the Fantastic Four Doctor Doom Submariner story where the Baxter, Baxter building gets launched into space. Uh-huh. And instead of the Fantastic Four, it's the X-Men. Interesting. And it's crazy. But Professor X is there and Cyclops and Angel. And- All right. This is something I got to ask since we're talking about cartoons. You're, you're just enough older than me. And really not that much, I think. But uh, the, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon stuff that DC's kind of revamping mm-hmm. and retooling. Um, I've read the first issue of Flintstones, the first two issues of Future Quest, the first issue of Wacky Raceland, yeah. and what was the other one they did? Uh, Scooby Apocalypse. First yes, two yes. Uh, for me, I, I watched a lot of those cartoons, I guess more in reruns than first runs. Probably Cartoon Network and Boomerang and stuff uh, like that. Even oh, no. before then. Oh, when Turner was doing it, I guess, uh, before then. I would say- Pre-Turner. Before, when oh, it was still wow. ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS okay, and sure. channels. Okay, okay. Just they would rerun the Scooby Doo stuff on the Saturday. Well, definitely that like stuff. That. I was thinking yeah. more of the like pure adventure, like Galaxy Trio. And yeah. Well, I, I remember seeing them as Herculons. kids, but I know the copyright stuff on that is like late '60s, right? And I'm really late '60s for my copyright, so you know I know I didn't see it live. 
Um, but how is that stuff working for you? Because I think you may be a little bit more in the. Well, I, I mean, I love Future Quest because Doc oh, Shaner yeah. uh, absolutely is a Toth inspired uh, artist, and uh, I know Jeff Parker. I mean, you know, he he gets it, and you know that was clear from his Batman sixty six stuff, and even yeah. his Agents of Atlas stuff. I would yeah. say, yeah, no, I agree. You know, with that. so so you know th- that's the right team. Um, I love Jam Dematis and uh, Dematis. I never get the name right. Uh, but I am not a big fan of Scoopy Apocalypse. I, I'm glad they're also still doing a traditional Scoopy Doo comic. Well, they're doing two. And what gets me is I recently. Oh, that's right. Cause there's the team up. The one team too, up. I recently which I really read, like. uh, issue 16 of that. The Marvel Family one or? The Marvel Family one. That was awesome. Oh, Doc Shanner again. It was brilliant. Uh, that was a, a series that a number of my listeners had recommended on our yearly, you know, what do you like podcast episode. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I haven't, haven't read this. I should check this out. And I saw the Marvel Family one. It's like, okay, I'll do that. I've since picked up the two trades and the missing issues. I think I still got it at number 15, but I mean, okay. it, they captured both the Scooby aspect, the Marvel family aspect, the melding of the stuff, and it was something that is all ages. It's not written down, yeah. and it's got the wholesome fun. It was brilliant. No, it's great. It really is great. You know? Yeah. I'm not a – but it's Scooby, Scooby Apocalypse. I get it. I'm just not imp- – I don't like the new designs. Man, I'll tell you. Somebody, I, I, you know, I, I, Jim Lee did a great job for all the designs for Injustice. I mean, that's that's all interesting and fun. Mm. I can't say I was a big fan of a lot of his designs for the new Fifty Two. Really, not feeling it for these uh, Scoopy Apocalypse characters. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. And and I read the Flintstone one, the first issue. I appreciated the humor, but it still smacked of those John Goodman movies and whoever was in that second one with uh with Rick the, Moranis, Rick, uh, or no well, Rick was in the John, John Goodman was, one right, was Stephen fine. Baldwin and um the it's a the big fat British guy who was, guy who was in uh no cuz even Jane Krakowski or whatever her name right. is from You're 30 right. Rock she's Betty uh what's her face tall funny woman from 3rd Rock from the Sun is Wilma British guy who I don't think I ever saw this I, I haven't seen Viva Rock Ve- Viva yeah. Rock Vegas again I appreciate the humor it's, but yeah, it, it reminds me of the live action films, which are kind of a poor cousin to the Hanna Barbera greatness. In fact, you remember in the either late nineties or early two thousands, was it John Kay or somebody else who, or or was it Gendy Tarakovsky or whatever his name is, who did a, com- a Cartoon Network seventy minute Flintstone movie, and um, it, it it kind of resembled the Hanna Barbera okay. look, but it was a little more. Because the look was a little different. The story felt deeper than the cartoon did for the, the Flintstones comic and stuff. The new comic. Yeah, the new comic. Yeah, yeah. no, and, I, and that's why, like, I, I appreciated the humor. I didn't like, I don't care for the art. I, I just think they're trying too hard to make it look real. And it's like, no, man, this is like, yeah. you wouldn't do that to Mickey Mouse. You wouldn't yeah. do that to yeah. any signature trademark hero or, or, or cartoon character that you could think of. No, that's what Bugs Bunny's supposed to look like. That's what Fred Flintstone is supposed to look like. Don't mess with that. And that, that Cartoon Network, uh, full length movie, they got people who could do, uh, Alan Reed, like an Alan Reed kind of genuine Flintstone voice. Mm. So did you see the documentary? I know that voice, the one that, uh, I have, I have DiMaggio seen that. made the guy who does currently Fred Flintstone. When he broke down, well, Alan Reed sounded like this, and I forget uh, the guy's name who did the 70s after Alan Reed passed away, who mm-hmm. did all the Flintstone pebbles, you know, Bonnie, that guy. He he did his voice, and then he combined them, and it's the, the most amazing thing watching the guy do that. But for the uh, <laughs> for the Cartoon Network one, I just remember there's a scene where Fred and Wilma go to a marriage counselor, and Wilma is imitating Fred. 
to the counselor and in Fred's voice says, hey, Bonnie, want to come over and come up with a scheme that not only will screw up our money, but also jeopardize our marriages? Oh, sounds great, Fred. I'll be right over. <laughs> and that just, I, I still remember it. Yeah. It's like the, one of the funniest things I've ever. Sounds great, Fred. I'll be right over. <laughs> I've got the, uh, that, that video was talking about, uh, I know that voice. John DiMaggio, yeah. yeah. That that I want to have you watch because okay. I think it'd be fun to review because there were a couple of parts where it's like, okay, now I can put a face to the, the mm. voice for exactly. some of these guys. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. But also the the craft these voice actors have. Yeah. The guy who did, uh, I think it was Elmer Fudd. No, Porky Pig. Okay. And he guy. was breaking down how to, to insert, you know, the, the syllables just right to get <laughs> the, the, the formula yeah, no, for the it. No, the mechanics, exactly. No, that's really interesting. I agree. And they had kind of the, uh, the pop-up of, uh, characters or whatever animating, kind of showing you what he's doing. That's awesome. And it's like, wow, it's like, you know, he, he's got this down to a science and he's nailed the voice. He knows what he's doing. No, it's really cool. And it's really cool that like, you know, Sweet June Foray was still, you know, yeah, in her 90s and still like showing up for work and everything. And yeah, no problem. I'll be there. So I mean, that's cool. Yeah. These are the kinds of guys that can come to a convention like this. And unless they're on a panel or something like that, you can walk by and not have any idea who they are, but have enjoyed literally thousands of hours of entertainment because of it. All right. This will test your age. Stan Freeberg. You know Stan Freeberg? I know of. Okay. He was here at Comic-Con 2010, 2011. And it was right before a – what was the HBO vampire show? First Blood? Bad Blood? First, First Blood. Blood. First Blood. Uh, was it First Blood or is that True Rambo? Blood. True, True Blood. Blood. Thank there you. you True go. Blood. Exactly. First Blood's Rambo. Blood. Just... Yeah, you know, Innocent Blood, of course, the Don Rickles vampire uh. movie with John Landis. Anyway, um, so people were in for the True Blood uh, co- you know, panel mm-hmm. and just you know, filling the room. But Stan was first. And Stan's wife introduced Stan. And she's like, look, I know you're here for True Blood. And I'm sure you, when you see Stan Freeberg, you have no idea who this guy is. Let me go through his resume. And she's like, you know, he was the beaver in Bambi. He was the, I forget what animal he was in Lady in the Tramp. And all of a sudden a few women go, oh, you know, and it was great. And they just went through his resume and it's like, oh, we do know this guy and we yeah. do like this guy. Yeah. And he rocked. He was hilarious. And it's so cool. And, you know, yeah, he was one of those last guys that, you know, worked with Mel and worked with Again, there was that that classic group in the day. We've had a lot of very talented people since then. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a, a bit of a different industry because I think they tend to do, I don't want to say fewer voices, but it's not like, again, you had the Mel Blanc that would do like everybody or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, and obviously maybe to keep costs down as well in some cases. But the great thing is a lot of the modern people, like I was saying about the guy who broke down Fred Flintstone, you know, they, they really want to recapture yes. the vibe well, of that classic stuff. They're fans of it. Did you see the Tom and Jerry Johnny Quest movie? No. I would not have watched it had my friend Heath Corson not written it. And I saw it and it is great, especially the first 10 minutes is pure Tom and Jerry and it looks like an authentic 40s Tom and Jerry uh, cartoon. Mm-hmm. The gags are great. They are, they are silent. They don't talk, which is great. And even when they finally get together with the Quest family – None of the animals talk, including Bandit. Mm, And they have their own little interactions with Bandit while they're trying to solve this mystery. And it was a very successful combination of the two. That and my favorite Scooby-Doo movie is one that uh, James Tucker wrote, and it happened at a Comic-Con. And it was like the mystery of the Blue Falcon. And the whole Mm. conceit of the movie was that they were retooling a new Blue Falcon movie and going to make it like for today's audience. And Dino Mutt suddenly became... Kind of a RoboCop kind of serious I've heard about robot. that one. It's very funny. And the great thing about it is all of the action Hanna-Barbera cartoons are represented 
at this Comic Con in different, you know, uh, aisles and stands right. and stuff like that. So, like the Galaxy Trio is sitting around doing autographs and stuff like that. It's great. I mean, these are these are if you're a convention fan and stuff that you got to see that movie. No, I need Very to check fun. that one out because when I was uh, after reading Future Quest and the the Scooby Team Up, it's like I need to dig back into some of the Hanna Barbera Library because it's classic stuff. It holds yeah. up. Oh yeah. Oh no. And it's, I think uh, even a lot of the adventure stuff. I mean. I think Birdman and I think especially Johnny Quest, my God. Yeah. It's a pleasure watching Johnny Quest. And I remember, and I'm sure you do too as a kid, summertime in the re- uh, summertime reruns, they would run it in prime time sometimes. I actually didn't watch that much Johnny Quest. My familiarity with the character is more from the comics that, was it now or Kamiko did? Kamiko. Kamiko, that's yeah. what it was. Those were good. Oh, man, the art was amazing on oh, yeah. too. Well, and uh, uh, Steve Rude yeah. was doing that stuff. Yeah. Steve yeah. Rude had his heart broken by Alex Toth. He sent him a, a Johnny Quest comic, and in typical Alex Toth fashion, he's like, well, you got this wrong. You got that wrong. Oh. Uh, it's a gun, and it's raining. I don't know how the hell the gun's going to fire if the gun's wet. And poor Steve's just like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm, rough. I'm still a fan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, You don't deserve to be my fan. Thank you, Alex. Good man. <laughs> ah, those were the days. Yeah. So, yeah. and, uh, Steve, you're doing an excellent job kind of pitching in for Doc on, uh, Future Quest. I think they, they had a few inventory stories because, uh, Doc is a slow artist to begin with, but also he just had a baby. Oh, wow. So, That's yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, because yeah, he's great. And I'm like, Hey, word balloon. He's like, Oh, dude, we're, we're about to have a baby. I'm like, I will talk to you next year. <laughs> <laughs> you take care. Good luck to you. I can talk to Parker in the meantime. But yeah. And I like the wacky races apocalypse. I, 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 I kind of like how weird it is. It, it was too Mad Max for me. I, uh. <laughs> yeah, it is. I remember the cartoon fondly and this oh, is yeah. so different. It, it's, well, it is. And that's, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's. So who's it for? Cause that's the question. Are you, I mean, I, I was at a couple DC, I was at one re- DC retailer summit and, you know, Dan was, I gotta tell you, I'm really excited about this Anna Barbera stuff and, you know, it's great and, uh, we're doing this and we're making it a little different. And I'm like, yeah, but I, you know, do kids care about this? I'm like, the only people that would care about this are people would, you know, from a sentimental memory value. Okay. So I haven't been to that retailer summit. However, I've listened to that retailer summit. You even asked a question there, I believe. The guys. Oh, did someone, uh, someone release it? Cowabunga That's awesome. Comics, uh, recorded it and released it. I did ask a question. And what got me was this whole thing, not the whole thing. Most of it was about the, uh, the, the rebirth stuff before well, it was Well, yeah, because he kind of felt like he owed everybody an apology. Sorry that our comics suck, basically. And I appreciate that they apologized because <laughs> they yeah. did suck. But what got me is for that last part of it, okay, because the first 20 minutes is all about the Hannibal era, how we're going in a new direction, doing new takes on these things and shaking things up, followed by we're going to go back to the old, comfortable, familiar feel for the DC stuff because when we shook it up, it didn't work. They didn't say it that way, but it seemed like mixed well, messages yeah. for me. Well, yeah, I'm, I guess – they want to experiment and feel they probably safely can with Hanna-Barbera because those books only do a certain number anyway. Well, and to your point, they're keeping the Scooby-Doo, uh, Where Are You, and the Scooby Team-Up stuff going. Yeah. So it's not like they're turning off the old material. Right, right. And it's not like we were getting any of it anyways for Flintstones or uh, the Johnny yeah. Quest stuff or things like that. So- but that's the thing. We weren't getting, with the rare exception of some digital uh, comics like Adventures of Superman and the yeah. uh, Legends of the Dark Knight and and the Wonder Woman digital comic. We weren't getting your core DC product that you know all of us grew up on until five years of a downward uh, spiral, and finally, okay, we get the message. You don't care anymore, and it's like, yeah, we don't care anymore. Well, because they disconnected us from the characters, right? 
and everything you knew doesn't. Uh, sorry, that didn't happen. Especially the Titans, which is so oh, stupid man. because that is the core of the demo. You know, that's the core of your demographic that you want and everything. And and I understand. I mean, I I didn't have that love affair with the Titans like my friends did and my younger friends did, but I get it. And to suddenly be like, yeah, that maybe happened, maybe it didn't. We're really not interested in that. Let me tell you some stories about Tim Drake and uh, yeah. Cassie and uh, all these third generation uh, sidekicks and stuff that we don't care about when, when as we, much. When we were kids, mom would go grocery shopping, so we'd sure. eat. I appreciate that. I like eating. But uh, while she was doing the grocery shopping, I would, you know, let her go do that. I would head over to the comic rack over at the grocery store back when they had those. That's yeah. how old I am. And this was around the time of New Teen Titans, All Star Squadron. Uh, Superboy and Legion was changing the Legion of Superheroes. It was a really good time for DC. Oh, yeah. So I was growing up on those comics. So when they hit New 52, and it's like you said, New T Titans, who are they kind of a thing? There's a bit of an off-putting aspect to that. And for them now to say, oh, yeah, mistakes were made. We're going to kind of fix. <laughs> and particularly from that roadshow, I got the sense of mistakes were made, but not necessarily full ownership of who made them. Because to me, it was endemic of an editorial disconnect somehow. Either they were hiring people who are good editors, but maybe not comic fans or vice versa. Something to where the right now with Rebirth, and I hope it succeeds, and initial numbers indicate that they are, they're trying to, to give us back what they think we want. And I hope they're correct on this. Because just the couple of Rebirth titles in June totaled up to more sales than all of DC had been doing any other month this year. That doesn't surprise me. What I'd be interested in, and you're the guy to ask uh, when you have a chance to crunch the numbers, is initially that for that first year or almost year, there was a big honeymoon for the new 52. Yes, there was. Because it was fresh and it was different, and I think people were willing to give it the benefit of the doubt and see. And there were some good books. Mm -hmm. Animal Man was good. Swamp Thing was good. Yes, uh, Snyder doing Batman and Jeff Johns doing Green Lantern. Those were good and they, they didn't touch us. Flash was still very good. Brian yeah. Buccoletto and uh, Francis Manipal, they were doing a good job. So there were a handful, but then nothing happened. I mean, that's the thing. Like after that first initial blush, it, it I mean, stories just dragged on and, and there didn't seem to be a point of where is all this? Like, because they, they gave us the assumption that there was going to be something with Pandora. Yes. And that there was some big secret and something was happening. Well, and and then, of, and it never happened. Uh, Forever Evil was kind of the payoff. I for guess. That. Yeah. And you're I used right. payoff lightly. I, yeah. I, no, but, and you're right. No, you're, you are right. But that's the thing. And then afterwards it was like, whatever. I mean, they made Superman literally un unrecognizable. Yes. And it didn't, it didn't yes. occur to me until I just talked to Dan Jurgens. They remade Superman into Monel. They gave him Monel's haircut. They gave him Monel's costume. If you made uh, Superman's New Fifty Two costume red and blue, it had the it had the same stupid collar. It totally oh, wow. covered his neck. And I'm like, oh my god, they turned reverse, him into Monel. Reverse the colors, yeah. They, and they made him into Monel. And it's like that's that's not Superman. It's got to look like Superman. I love what Jurgens and Tomasi are doing right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's excellent. I mean, that's the thing. I'm I'm a big fan. And if you know, I guess the naysayers are like DC stands for dad's comics. Well, I guess I'm a dad then, you know, because I like it. It, it, they're, they're getting back to what made these characters interesting. They're bringing the unity back. There was, I heard there was a huge editorial note during the new 52. No, we don't want families. We want renegades. We want outsiders. We want, you know, and it's like, that's not what I want. Well, and also that's not what your company was built on. Yeah. I mean, you're basically yeah. ignoring, and it was such weird timing because it was literally right after they had celebrated their 75th anniversary. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, happy 75th anniversary. Okay. That's old news. Now we're doing this. And I assumed that it was a lot of it was to reestablish new 
origins and and things to make them corporately owned and so that they didn't have to worry about the estates of some of these uh, uh you know former you know creators and stuff i don't well, know that, that that's an interesting point because i felt the new 52 was came out of just really low sales and some apathy and stuff and they needed to to reinvigorate the, things yeah, the pants, yeah. but we're again going through a similar thing with rebirth now and look at how many characters from the new 52 era and the new rebirth stuff are uh, uh, new versions of old characters and how few are actually new characters. I mean, if you look at the Legends of Tomorrow comic, right, they bring back Sugar and Spike, these baby characters, right, as right. private eyes. Yeah. Versus create new characters. It's almost as if they're making a point of not creating new characters. Yeah, that's well, that's a fair that's a fair statement. I I mean that's that's one comic though, and I and I and I don't know what else you're doing with. Sugar and Spike, because for years it's you know they wouldn't well, do they anything. Did nothing with them. Well, they did nothing with them domestically, but internationally they were still very popular. Really? Did yeah, you, yeah. The original, okay. the original books and stuff. Well, because you know it's that you know Asterix kind of uh, crowd in, of European comic lovers, and you know the silly kid stories kind of fit that world and everything. So no, and I, I want to say was it East, e. Nelson Bird, Birdwell that uh, Birdwell that I think uh, did Sugar uh. and Spike. I was thinking Shell uh, Morda, but I Shelly Moldenoff or whatever. Yeah. I may Batman be thinking artist. the artist though. Uh, it might be the two of them though. Yeah, I'm not sure either. All right, I got them in the uh, the old Digest comics. Oh, that's fun. I remember too. Didn't they come out with a big dollar size Sugar and Spike at one point? I thought they did. They might have during the Silver Age uh, fifth week event they did back in mid nineties. Oh, funny, because I was even thinking back in uh, the um, you know again in the seventies or whatever. Okay, maybe when those dollar, when those big yeah. oversized dollar comics they were probably out. did at that point. But yeah, no, I you know it's that doesn't bother me. But you're right about like why well, I haven't been reading the Legends of Tomorrow comic. Is it is it Robbie Raymond? Is it uh, is it uh, the, the kid from the show? Uh, Robbie and Jason. It's as if it picked oh, up from funny. the Firestorm series of the New Fifty Two. Oh, funny. And Legends of Tomorrow, the comic book, is basically a Firestorm series, a Metamorpho series. A Sugar and Spike series and Metal Man, all under you know one pages right. of, of you know one cover. Do they alternate or do they only have no, like four? No, it's four, eighty five pages. Page. Oh, it's an eighty-page book. So I'm it's like four monthly them. books under one one roof. Oh wow! And how much does it cost? Uh, five bucks, seven ninety-nine, I think. Okay, it's wow. still a better deal than if you were to get all four individually. Okay, but if you only want one of them. It's not weird, so much though. of a why deal. Why would you? Why would you give it the the TV title and not have it be? That I'm not sure because Firestorm's the only possible connection. Yeah. And while it's got Professor Stein and Ronnie in there, uh, it. So Martin Stein is still around. That's yeah. good. But he's not part of Firestorm. He's like the advisor. Oh, he's okay. So he's not part of the Matrix. He's yeah. just advising them back at the lab. So it's it's a different take on the character. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. So Conway's writing it though, isn't he? Yes. That's uh, cool. Yeah. I love him. I'm so happy for him. He. Is one of those guys that I'm really happy when they give him something new to do. He always writes something interesting. Last days of Animal Man. Just just whatever. as a quick aside, if you hear rumbling like we're being attacked by Godzilla or something, <laughs> I'm assuming that they're testing out the Hall H sound system beneath us. That's my guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean honestly, Comic Con you get I, you get kind of used to it, and I'm sure you know being in California, there might be some event that might happen during a Either comic-con that or it was a quake one of the two exactly. i just thought i'd mention that's so funny you know that happened in in uh illinois when i was uh 
broadcasting downstate and we actually did have an earthquake oh wow and i'm like it's not an earthquake we're in illinois for god's sake and like in illinois is under a fault too and oh and it was an earthquake and it's like <laughs> oh well, I'll be, I'll be done. so i um what's going on podcast west man how's now with things going uh, it's going good it's busy we've been doing uh three episodes a week now wow. since april of last year good for you man uh we're covering all kinds of movies television shows uh are you still opening your uh still doing the box lights? I love when you do that. That's matter awesome. Fa- matter of fact, we did one this morning uh from the hotel room. Oh, awesome. What was the theme? It was this was the Wizard Comic-Con box that had come from Okay. Month, and it was uh Crew. Crew was the theme. Are you getting these as a press bonus or are you paying for your subscriptions? Uh, I'm we're paying, paying for my subscriptions. Good for, well, it's all right. I mean, these are businesses. I yeah, was going to say yeah. either way. Okay. And and you find them worth it? Are they fun? Uh, one or two we've stopped doing, and a few others are kind of on the, the chopping block. Others we're definitely enjoying. Are you doing advertising on your show? I do not do advertising. I do not do uh, um, in, uh, uh, sponsorships. Uh, and part of, uh, part of it is, and this is part of why we pay for the boxes versus doing Well, them. I was going to say, you could write them off if you're a technique, right? I would we, think. Well, yeah. we, we will write them off. Don't get okay. me wrong on the tax okay. purposes. but. I figure if somebody gives me stuff or is paying me to do stuff, you know, I want to be able to speak my mind. And if I don't like something, to just flat out say that. And I respect more, that. More sure. importantly, if I say something positive, I don't want it discounted because somebody thinks, well, he's been bought. You know? Okay. No, I get that. And it, and it's funny because I, for a brief time, did a, an, um, an arrangement with uh, a company and I started to feel like, you know, I feel like I'm I'm not being true. As Even though I don't do reviews, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm selling a product that I don't really have faith in. So I get that. But, I mean, there are enough other uh, sponsorships that, you know, I yeah. mean, I mean, even, you know, God, Discount Comic Book Service that sponsors so many of us and everything. I feel, you know, I'm, they've I'm offered promote, a time or two for that's me. That's cool because yeah. I was going to say, yeah. and I promote the service because I believe in it. It's a good service. Same here. It's a great service. And they're, and they're wonderful people. And, I, you know, that's the thing. And it's like. No, they, you know, it's a good deal. Like, you, people should shop with them, you know. Absolutely. And I'm sure they're hearing a In Stock Trades commercial on, on my version of this show. So, I, you know. <laughs> but, no, it's true. I mean, you know. But it's um, it's interesting, though. You know, uh, Chicago just had the podcast uh, movement conference mm-hmm. last week. I wasn't able to attend because um, I had a, a work conflict and I couldn't go. But I did have – I did get feedback from a lot of friends that went um, that do other other types of podcasts, not, not, right. not nerd culture stuff. And um, – no, it's interesting. And also, um, with podcasting right now, there's the affiliate advertising, you know, use this code and you mm. get, you know, so much mm-hmm. off. Right. And, and things. And it's, someone made the point and I agree with them. It's like they want podcasters to prove that their audience is actively pursuing this product. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Do you do this with newspapers? Do you yeah. do this yeah. with uh, television? And it's a fair comment to respond back and everything and say, wait a minute. You know, I mean, because I, I think, I mean, and again, it's not just us. It's not just geek culture. You know, uh, the biggest, you know, Adam Carolla and, yeah. and Hardwick and them, they do Harry's Razors. They do, you know, uh, I'm, I'm blanking, right, Audible or whatever mm-hmm. and everything. I, you know, the, so. The part that gets me with the whole marketing, advertising and all that kind of stuff is not not just podcasts have to prove themselves or whatever. But, I mean, like, I've been doing the preview spotlight on a monthly basis for over 100 months now. We just had the 100th episode of that a couple okay. months back. And I've basically said this is an open submission thing. So mm-hmm. if you're a publisher, if you're a creator, if you're a marketing person at one of these companies. Feel or free. Their, their PR person or, or whatever, send in a clip of, of what they're doing. Promote their stuff. And by and large, they just don't. 
And I'm like, here's a, an opportunity where not only do I have the right target audience, mm-hmm. I've got them prepped looking for things to go buy. Sure. Mm-hmm. This is a wonderful opportunity. And I don't know what it is about the nerd space that kind of makes that just that disconnect kind of happen. Well, I, a, I, I also think there's there are so many yeah. podcasts. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So if they're not, I mean, I, I take nothing for granted. And, and truly, I mean this because I, I don't want to like, well, you know, well, Whatever. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been doing it 11 years. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, I don't take it for granted that someone knows who I am. And, and, oh, yeah. you know, and especially oh, at a place neither. like this. No. You know, and it's, and that's fine. It's okay. So. But they don't seem to see value in submitting a 30 second clip about their comic. Like, like, heard about you said like, like, like a voice, like a voicemail, right. basically. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I've gone and have to, you gone to them directly? To some yeah. of the publishers directly. I do this. Here's the card for it, whatever. And it's like, if they don't want to take op- uh, advantage of the opportunity, that's fine. That's their decision. And even like the the Valiants or the I'm trying, right. you know, the second tier, the, the, the smaller yeah. publishers. I've yeah. gone to a couple that I think have some good material, and it's like, hey, I want to promote you, but I'm picking this out of preview, so I don't always have the lead time. I may have missed something until I see it. You know, whatever. You know what's coming. You know what you want promoted. Uh, but you know, are you at the convention? Going to actively network? Yes, sort of, but not whole hog. Okay. I'm here mainly as an attendee, not, you know, as the hype machine for the podcast. I'm, I'm 50-50 because, I, you know, I mean, well, I'd say even a th- a three-thirds because I would say a third of me is out doing some press junkets and trying to get a few interviews. Mm-hmm. A third of me is just enjoying the show. And a third of me is also trying to drum up business because yeah. – Well, for mm-hmm. you with the interviews, yes. this is a great opportunity for well, you. But mostly yeah. for networking. Yeah. yeah. For I mean, because, you know, I mean, I, I like doing, you know, an hour-long interview and stuff. So it's like – and also, I know how valuable the creator's times are. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. convention particularly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, literally, it's just, hey, how's it going? You know, like DC offered, hey, we're doing, you know, floor interviews. Well, last year – they were doing stage interviews on, you know, kind of the way Marvel's been doing it for the last few years. Uh-huh. And I said, I, cause they arranged and I said, Oh, you know, I haven't talked to Libra Mayo yet. And that's good. You know, good introduction to just mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. 10 or 15 minutes with him. And hey, let's do something longer later. Well, they had, in fact, Susan Eisenberg being interviewed by Heath Corson, two of my friends on stage and it was blasting. Yeah. And I'm right next to him and I'm like, I can't yeah. use this audio. Yeah. And I'll be honest, uh, the PR person like, what's the problem? And I'm like, well, the problem is this is an audio interview. This isn't a print interview. Yes. And you're, you're not really facilitating well, this, it, this interview. It's funny how much easier it is to edit out music or loud rumbling in a print interview than exactly. on audio. Yes. <laughs> I know, man. And it's, well, then this year I said, well, cause they're like, Hey, these are the, these are the creators. Would you like to do any talks? And I said, you know, last year you didn't have a separate space. And uh, I found a lot of interference with what was going on stage. And I said, look, I get it. Yeah. This is for the fans. Mm-hmm. By all means, people were – I saw the people standing watching these live interviews. I don't blame them. Yeah. It's a, it's a good way to keep people, Absolutely. you know, going to your booth and checking out your stuff. And, and that's great. And that's wonderful. But it doesn't help me for my purposes. And they said, well, good news. This year, we're going to have two, a two-floor booth. Mm. Interesting. Well, and you'll I be s- directly above the loud noise making speaker. That a girl. Exactly. Because <laughs> I, because literally I said, well, is it an enclosed second floor? I said, because, uh, if not, I said, you know, really, we've got the same problem. Like, oh, it's not enclosed. I said, well, then thanks, but no thanks. You know, I'm I, like, uh, you know, and again, I'm like, it's not their responsibility to no. think of everything mm-hmm. like that. It, I'm sure you know, though, that at other conventions, when they offer interviews, they would have a separate ballroom. Yes. Yeah. And, and you would, and you would have, a room like we're in right now, yeah. 
where you could have a, a normal conversation with when, creators and they bring them from the floor and down and, and that was great. Uh, you know, it's, I, it's okay because it's really expensive. Yes. I, I'm sure to, I'm sure it's uh, that much more to have an additional room for And interviews. there's less space for well, them to have access that's true to too. here. That's it true. would be a 20 minute walk just within the exhibit hall and up to a quiet yeah. room for that kind of a thing here. That's anyways. true too. So yeah. I get the, the, the impracticality. I've been making sure when we receive invitations to things like we got an invitation to the uh, press room for the 50 years of Star Trek with nice list of actors. Oh, yeah, I got that that one, too. Mm -hmm. So when I RSVP'd for that, I made it very clear to them the format of our podcast. It releases at least a week after the convention is over, sometimes two, that our format is a conversation between the two of us sharing what we discovered at the convention, what we're excited about and stuff. Because I find if they know what kind of coverage they're going to get, they're a lot more cooperative and they're not as upset or disappointed of, hey, I thought you were coming here with a list of questions to ask and I thought it would be a printed article up the next day. Did you get a response back? I got accepted for both of us. I, I didn't, which is, uh, I'm like, That's and I kind of, whatever, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. But I, but yeah, I'm like, I don't know if, unless mm-hmm. if I did. I also, you know. I got the accepted within the past 24 hours. And I also made sure to mention that we had reviewed both the Star Trek movies, one of which we mm. did within, uh, I believe, Last the past month, month uh, in anticipation of the one God, that's coming out. I hope they don't listen out. to that one. Why? This was one of the episodes. Oh. Uh, we had a, a minor technical glitch. The uh, device in front of me we're recording on has a volume knob. Yes. That was <laughs> set poorly on my track. Well, that's happened <laughs> to me. That's happened to me. <laughs> I like I fixed those. A lot of it, but yeah, it's kind I- of embarrassing. I like yeah, the podcast where you sound like you're underwater and I sound perfect. But I found with a lot of the marketing people, if, if you set their expectations mm-hmm. and, and work with them, they're easy to deal with. Mm-hmm. I mean, their whole job is to get the word out there and you're helping them out. Yeah, but I've been telling most of the ones that I do answer back to of basically this is a fact-finding mission for us for future podcasts, not a we're recording here in the moment. I have had a year or two where I did a lot of recording here at the convention. Some even on the hall floor. And on the one hand, it's fun to have the, the, right. the crowd yeah. rumble yeah. and yeah. stuff. But on the other hand, going from, okay, this guy's in Artist Alley. I've set up a time with him. To this guy's on the far end of the hall. I've set up another time. Yeah. Before. It's yeah. hard. No. I'm not in shape yeah. for that. <laughs> no, it does. It's a, that's the one great thing. That and also, I've said this as well online on, on social media. I'm all for Pokemon Go if it gets us off our yes. couches mm-hmm. and moving. And that's kind of how I feel about the con. Yeah. I, 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 I welcome the exhaustion and the effort to walk around and stuff. But you're right. And, and that's why, like I said, for me, when it comes to doing interviews, it really is more networking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's, well, in particular, but I, but I leave myself open. You do. Yes. But I leave myself open for the opportunities mm-hmm. of things like the Star Trek thing if it comes through. And I, I guess it didn't. And that's, I won't deny. I'm like, oh man, I'm a, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I would have loved that, but that's okay. Um, I am on the under the red hood or not under the red hood, uh, uh killing joke. Oh, okay. Mm. So I'm on that press junket. So it'll probably be my best chance to get five minutes with uh, Kevin Conroy. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that'll be cool. So you know, it's great. People are popping in. And I think because we're set up the way we are, I think they think we actually do belong in here. <laughs> so I do think they're like, oh, sorry. Okay. Cause every now and then the door opens up. Um, so yeah, so, so for those things, I leave myself open for those possibilities, but I try not to schedule 
yeah interviews during Comic Con for that yeah. very reason, like you said, and everything. I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 nuts. I'm Greg Pak last year had his uh, Dark Horse Western, yes, yeah, and he really wanted to do it. And instead, I'm like, okay, instead of that, let's do that on the phone. But will you come to the podcast panel? And he did, and he was awesome. Yeah, yeah no, so that great was great. Guy. Great guy. So good man. Oh yeah, I love Greg. Well, that's part of what's fun about this convention is there's something for everybody, and no matter what your interests are, what your current tastes are, and stuff, you can find something out there that'll just really float your boat and get you excited oh yeah but there's so much other stuff it's also a sensory overload in this. <laughs> yeah it is it, if you're not prepared for it i understand mm-hmm. i was I, I have yet to figure out how to prepare for that part of it yeah i guess that's true i don't you know dude i mean at this point you guys have been going longer than i have i love it i say it's like really expensive summer camp because it is you like because you guys are a perfect example. I run into my out of town yeah. friends. Yeah. yeah, we get to hang for a while. We swap stories. It's good to see everybody, and we're in a great you know city that is perfect weather. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's like all right, it's costing me an arm and a leg, but it's worth it, mm-hmm. and it's fun. And and no, and it does. I I do end up getting business. You know, it's Art Balthazar. I always like to quote him. He says, "You can't afford to go, but you can't afford not to go." Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're when you're at a certain stage in your career. And for him, obviously, more of a publishing thing. But I'd even say it from a from a podcasting thing. I don't know, man. I still have that pipe dream because I I know that, and I'm assuming you know, you're you're doing it really for the love of it. Yeah. And everything. I am doing it for the love of it as well. But I also I will not deny my broadcast agenda because hey, I see the future, and I saw the future 11 years ago when I started doing this. If I could retire from my day job and do this full time, I would love to do that. Well, and you know, I mean, the way to do it is to you know pursue. Keep on doing it, mm-hmm. and and you know uh, luck is when uh, opportunity meets preparation. Absolutely, and yeah. that's and that's what we do. I mean, we're prepared. We do our shows each week, and we've got a product that mm-hmm. we can do. We come to these conventions, and that's why. So that's that is that third of me just kind of networking and nosing around and seeing what kind of business I can drum up. Because yeah, I mean that's the one thing I got from not going to that podcast uh, conference, but hearing about it is that. Everyone is kind of aware that, you know, the podcast machine is only going to get bigger. Yeah. yeah. And I heard this from the radio pros that I, that I know that went to it as well. And no, they, they are starting to get it. And they're, they're a little nervous in terms of we really should do more than what we do on the air to, to kind of spread our brand around. Well, absolutely. Because I think podcasts, radio is, is literally broadcast. Mass media. Mass media out there and stuff. And what we're doing is is much more narrow casting, niche, niche casting, and yep. stuff like that. And it's what I love about it is I've been able to connect with people around the world that have similar interests in what I have and stuff. And as you were saying earlier, anyone can podcast. I mean, really, best and worst thing about podcasting, anyone can do it. It is, uh, and that's what kind of hurts us from. Well, that's what we're talking about off the air. The the legitimacy problem, or what, or at least current status that again is eroding. Because mm-hmm. good podcasting is happening and they can't ignore it mm-hmm. and they can't ignore the audience that, that we bring. And it's not hard to do a little research and find out, hey, this is a guy who's put up three or four episodes and then pod faded or whatever versus like you who's <laughs> been doing it for forever and a day. I mean, since podcasting pretty much existed, I think you've one of the early adopters. Yeah, well, I was early. I mean, there, there are a couple before me. Comic Geek Speak was a couple of months before me and uh, – Fanboy Radio was a couple of years before yeah. me and everything. Okay. I mean, they, they but kind they started of started radio. Yeah. So well, yeah. Transition, well, no, yeah. Not but discounting. Yeah. But yeah. No, no, no. And I mean, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I always like to say, we were all in the top 10 because there were only eight of us, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, exactly. a tr- you know, and it's kind of true. And, and also, yeah, I go back to that 2006 podcast panel that we did mm-hmm. and see who's still podcasting. 
I would say half of that that uh, panel is no longer podcasting. I would say maybe a little higher than that because I mean Comic Geek Speak is as far as yeah, I know yeah, still, still going. going. Oh yeah, they're still going. But it's also a different group than they had yeah, back. That's exactly then. right. And yep. that's a big, great strength for that podcast yep. too. Um, Comic News Insider. Uh, Joe, Joe doesn't do it anymore, but uh, it. Jimmy still does it. Okay. Lenny Taylor, I read comics. She hasn't done it for years. Uh, Cammy's Corner. Cammy's Corner is gone. I, was he part of that 06? Uh, I don't know if he was not in 06. Not in 06. But Cammy, uh, yeah, you're right. Cammy, you know. Uh, Augie DeBleek. Augie, yeah. Who He's I still love. doing the, the Yeah, he does the columns. But. You know. I saw it. I saw um, in his basking in his retirement, Jonah Weiland from mm. CBR. And he is the happiest rich guy I know. Good. Because he can relax and enjoy himself. And he is like. Touring the world. And awesome. the last, last I saw him from his Facebook, he's in Amsterdam. But he came to Chicago because uh, Art and Franco at their Skokie store had uh, a signing for Kingdom Come for the 20th anniversary. That was, Come. I think, the weekend he ended his time at CBR. Then. Yep. And what a, a great kind of a bookend because it was Kingdom Come that got him started on that stuff. Yeah. CBR, I guess, grew out of a Kingdom Come message yeah. board, which is pretty crazy. Talk about a, a wild success story. I'm so happy that he's able to yeah. travel yeah. the world and do no, stuff. Jonah, you know, and, Jonah's and a great guy. Jonah's awesome. Matt Brady as well. And I've and I've had them both on in the last, you know, couple of years to talk. Actually, Jonah hasn't been on yet. Um and he even said, he said, you know, let me let me kind of decompress and gain more perspective as opposed to like right afterwards. And I said, sure, because I did the same thing with Matt Brady. And it man, they I'll tell you, that's another thing that keeps changing and and it's something I think we've discussed at these podcast panels as well, is access. And how it's yeah. in some ways it's getting easier, and in some ways it's getting harder. There's it's some, very interesting. Some mm-hmm. publishers that just will give you anything you want and are really easy to work with. Others, uh, the exact opposite. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. nope, sorry, can't do it. Yeah, yeah no, uh, it's funny. Well, and that's that's uh, I think a reflection on how my podcast has changed a little over the years because I used to be able to do uh, the weekly comic spotlight for these weeks, still doing a Marvel in DC. It took a little finagling schedule wise. But it got to the point where it's like, okay, I need to record these in advance. It's taken enough of my time driving out here and stuff. Can't get a Marvel in DC book. Fine. Two weeks a year, we go all indie. Okay. And almost every time, guaranteed to have a Dark Horse book because Aub gets his stuff out two weeks in advance. It's easy to, to get the review copies. Sure. I mean, he's one of those guys who works great with the press. Yeah, Dark Horse, boom. Yeah. Valiant. Valiant. Uh, Dynamite was actually pretty good. Dynamite's time. okay. That's good. That's good to hear. And there have been a couple of books as a result I have read that I never would have read otherwise. One or two, it's like one this time I actually gave a, a, a perfect score to, and it's like I got to go hunt down the previous volume. It was uh, Red Team, Double Tap, Center Mass, number one. Uh, Garth Ennis and – Oh, is it one of his war books? No, it's a police procedural. Oh, cool. Oh, man. And the artist whose name I'm blanking on uh, – it is, it's not photorealistic art, but it, it reads like a, and kind of looks like a TV show, primetime cop drama. Like Michael Lark used to do with Gotham Central, I was going to say. It kind of like that, but this was to the Even point so? where I think, I felt like I should have been recognizing the actors who were playing the <laughs> roles kind of a thing. <laughs> like J.G. Jones did with Wanted. Yeah, yeah, exactly, that kind of a thing. That's funny. It was, it was, oh, I'm going to have to check that out. It was brilliant stuff. And again, That's cool. Luck of the draw. It's like, I need a third book. That's a third book. We'll go with that. You know, Garth Ennis, vastly underrated. Vastly underrated, I think. I mean, you know, and I, I mean, it, and it maybe challenges uh, mainstream readers by the, the genres he chooses sometimes. But I think that's awesome. And I mean, he's just, I think he, it just shows his versatility. Absolutely. I never would have pegged him as being the guy who could just nail a police procedural style, tone, voice, everything. Sure. 
And I, I mean, I more equate him with like the Punisher Max stuff or the hardcore stuff. And it's like, oh, it's. Garth Did you ever read his war stories when he was doing those in the early two thousands, for example? No, but my co-host TJ uh, has read a lot of that Man, stuff. Yeah, that's and, good stuff. Likes it a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and he always found like great artists that feel the same way, and it's strongly about those subjects and stuff. Yeah. And I know, like David Lloyd, I got to talk to him about it in particular, and he was so proud of this naval story he did with Garth and everything. So I've always wanted to do that. And finally, I find a way to do it too. Oh, that's cool. So Dixon is like that too. Dixon, uh, yeah. as he got kind of shunned by uh, DC and Marvel, I think it's only allowed him and forced him to go to other genres, but just shows what kind of craftsman he is. And I think you hand him any st- from Simpsons comics to his uh, war and Western stuff. I mean, and, and sword and sandal and mm-hmm. you, you name the genre. I think Chuck can do it. Yeah, I don't agree with him politically. I always put that out there because I think he's got a very strong political voice. (laughs) Yet, I really appreciate his friendship, and I I love it when he comes on Word Balloon, and I think he's a very smart guy. Well, and if they're really good creators and stuff, I'm sometimes curious about what they think politically or whatever. But really, when I'm reading their their work, I want to be entertained. Sure. Mm -hmm. No, I hear you, man. You know, and that's that's what it's all about. And I love it when they can get a creative team comes together that's very passionate about a book or whatever. Again, this is the sort of thing they want to be doing and maybe can't at one of the mainstreams or whatever. It's like, hey, more genres, more material, the better. What do you think? What do you think crowdfunding is right now? Do you think it's still as strong as it was? Is it getting stronger? What do you What do you see it? Oh, uh, from my wallet, it's gotten stronger uh, because <laughs> I've I've put in for quite a few. Do you think the end of the Star Trek lawsuit is going to affect it also in the minds of some. Oh, did you do the XNR thing? I did. I did the XNR thing. Um, I, I did love that guy. Captain I love Rob Pike Rob. and a few others. Most of what I've been doing is either Oh, I don't know stuff. Captain Pike. Was that another crowdfunding? That was one? another crowdfunding. Oh, man. Is this, does it look good? Did they have any it sort of... It promising. Uh, it how long of a video did they... Did they do oh, a God. video or no? It's been like six months or more since I funded that one. And I have to look that one up. It seemed like one where they were doing another funding to do the next part of the film or something like that which is a little uh disconcerting how much did they how much of the film did they put up i the the pitch reward i get was a full video so i was expecting them to have funded the whole video but i may have misread or whatever well but what did they in their in their pitch for crowdfunding because you know like axinar had a good 20 minute yeah i mean that that thing stands on its own as a really good Story. Yeah. Well, and just amazing production. Values. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's yeah. where I think yeah. they went wrong. Is It's too good. <laughs> I understand. I know. I've had this conversation ever since the lawsuit happened. And it's, you know, well, but. It's a combination of it was too good and they built their own studio they wanted to rent out. Well, because leading up to. I think to- that made it too much of a business. Oh, sure. Well, no, I, absolutely. I, the thing is, they were above board on all that. And it's, yeah. you want us to make a movie, we're going to have to have a place to shoot it. And yeah. again, I think they were, I think they were above board and they're not the first crowdfunding initiative to pay the people that are making their thing. I mean, you can make it as simple as Jill Thompson doing a scary godmother doll. Yeah. She is not making the dolls. She is hiring someone to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, yeah. you know, well, money is being earned. You know, we did I, a, it's her character in that case. Well, yeah, obviously. that yeah. helps a lot. We but did an ahead. episode on various uh, Star Trek projects. Okay. Star Trek continues. I like it. Uh, uh, <laughs> Star Trek of Gods and Men. Okay. I forget one or two of the is others. Of Gods and Well, wasn't that one of them? Wasn't good. Oh, no, that's uh, phase 
whatever. James. Well, of, of Gods and Men had um, Uhura and Chekhov reprising their roles. Oh, and that's the one too with uh, Captain uh, whatever who killed Kirk. Uh, yeah, Harriman. Captain uh, Harriman, uh, yes. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Cameron from uh, Ferris Bueller. Exactly. Alan uh, Rucker. Alan Rucker, thank you. I'm Alan Rucker, that's right. Names. I was going to say Rucker, but yeah, Rucker. But they had actors from various other branches of Star Trek, and it was it was well done. Not quite the production values that Axanar had, but no, it was Axanar was again yeah. high production. Oh values. my god, yeah, no. Well, again, they they hired they hired professionals to do it. They hired up and down. What and it well, the thing that bothered me about CBS and Paramount going after Axanar was Tim Russ had his Star Star Trek Renegades movie. Yeah, we've watched that, and and that. Had very good production values. I think Axanar was slightly better, but the the battle scenes in Renegades were very good. I thought. I felt Axanar was was rivaling a theatrical release. Oh, absolutely! And I thought Renegades was a high end fan film. Interesting. So I thought, and less the 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 ship scenes than more the the just the live action. I understand. Did you see the adaptation of uh, Mind Sifter, the short story? No. Watch that because that is – it's a great time travel story and it oh, was okay. in one of the original paperbacks that came out in the early 70s called Star Trek New Voyages. Got it. And uh, it's – Kirk gets dumped in the 50s in a mental institution I by the Klingons. I have read the book. And yeah, the Klingons use the mind sifter to wipe out Kirk's memory and anytime he tries to think of the Enterprise, it causes him pain. Okay. And so he's stuck in, in a straitjacket in a, in a 50s insane asylum. The f- video adaptation is very – it felt like an Outer Limits or, or a mm. good or a good Twilight Zone. I was really impressed. I agree with you from the acting because in my comparison is it's like going to see college theater. Yes. Yeah. And in yeah. that I appreciate the effort and and it's and it's got a level of craft to it, but it's certainly not Hollywood. Yeah. You know, and it's certainly not pure. I stage. gotta say, yeah. Star Trek continues is a lot of fun. Oh, it's great! Oh my God, the lighting. They they nail the effect, the look, everything of that era yeah. of the show. Oh, but that's like even when they do their scenes. The lighting is perfect. I mean, you really, I mean, if you were nearsighted and squinting at the TV, you might mistake, uh, Vic, whatever his name is uh, for Yeah, Kurt. Vic Montaigne or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're watching the show from an alternate timeline where they just had different actors. There yeah. you go. Exactly. No, it's, it's, uh, I like that show a lot and I, and I appreciate the writing. Yeah. I think the writing's really good. It is. When I asked about crowdfunding, I meant though, and I'm, and honestly, I appreciate the tangent because I love all uh, the Star Trek stuff in particular, but I was wondering about from comics and everything. For comics, you know, I'm not really seeing anything personally that seems to be really tapping into that well. Um, I think there have been a couple of, of companies that have maybe experimented or whatever with it. I, not companies, but even just I'm saying when oh, creators oh, are going out to like kind of make their own books. Like, I think it's a smart move for creators to do. Do you think it's still like going well? Do you think that it's, uh, flat. I mean, I don't know how much you're paying attention. Or I'm not or, paying that much of attention. Okay. Um, the I'm not hearing much about it from my listeners. I'm not seeing much about it when okay. I, I go through Indiegogo or Kickstarter. I'm not actively looking for that stuff either. I have seen. Um, I think it's Supers uh, number six. They were trying to get that crowdfunded and a few other things. Okay. I think it's a smart move for the uh, the publishers and creators to do, just because it kind of builds up the audience ahead of time and lowers right. the risk. Yeah, exactly. So uh, from that perspective, from a, a reader perspective, I don't like it because of the the lag time. Yeah, it's a long time. You know, I've well, uh, one of the fir- the I think the first Kickstarter I did was for Comics Writer, uh, software for writing comic book scripts. Okay, that uh, did they ended up doing the well, software? Was three years ago. They're they're still just about to release. Oh boy. No, I understand, and there are there are those kinds of buyer beware stories of, yeah. of things that don't happen. Um, 
John Ostrander and uh, Jan Dorsma uh, just did one and succeeded. Good. And in fact, uh, succeeded and had people that still wanted to contribute. So what started as a Kickstarter, they're like, okay, if you want, we'll do an Indiegogo with a very modest threshold, but saying, if you still want to buy the finished mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. here's an Indiegogo, which I think is smart because, yeah. you know. That, that is one of the things I've noticed more on the tech side uh, with the crowdfunding space is there's now like the in-demand in other ways that once it's gotten that initial funding, you can keep funding. Yes. And Kickstarter, I think, I think won't great. allow you to do that, but obviously. Indiegogo, these, I think. Indi- and that's the thing. These yeah. other These other crowdfunding platforms have popped up. That will allow you to do it. You know, I've been using Patreon for for mm-hmm. Ward Balloon, and I honestly will say that I, I really appreciate the people that subscribe. It's uh, a small number compared to my l- overall audience, but they are dedicated. I don't ask a lot of them, mm-hmm. and I mean, it helps me get to things like San Diego and, yeah. and do all this. So I really appreciate it, and I'm glad that they see the value of what I do and are like, yeah, no, you know, something this isn't, you know. They, they think it is, you know, worth their time. And yeah. Money. And I appreciate well, that. It, to me, one of the things that keeps my podcast going is just having the listeners participate, send in clips to the preview spotlight. I've got a donation button on the front page of my website that's been used maybe six times over the years. But, okay. you know, just once in a while I get, you know, enough to, to go have a meal or something like that, a small okay. meal. But it's the thought that counts. And yeah. just getting that feedback of, hey, what you're doing is worth my time. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I try to do with some of the creators here is just go up to them and say, hey, you know, I've enjoyed your work over the years. Of course. You know, getting to do that with uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez in C2E2 this year. I mean, there are very few artists I would put as the pinnacle of, of comic art. God. And he's one of the few I put above, like George Perez, who's one of my favorites. But, I mean. Well, I mean, think of beyond the comics he did, the calendars, the lunchboxes, yes. the the pajamas, the birthday cakes. He is the look of DC. Yeah, that that late seventies, early eighties look. Absolutely, yeah. man. No, that I guess you'd say like late Bronze Age. Yeah, pre crisis, almost definitive of that for DC. Uh, truly, he did the style guide. I got yeah. a process page from the DC style guide, and it has two flashes and a Superman and a Batman on it, and it's the best hundred dollars I've spent this. Year. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, yeah, and just being able to go up to him and say, "Hey, I appreciate your work." Absolutely, no, no, and that's yeah, and that's cool because you know I just I haven't released it yet. Uh, I I just spoke with. Uh, Damn it. Um, Danny Fingeroth. Mm, okay. And yeah. um, we were talking about Larry Lieber mm-hmm. because he he mentored uh, Danny in terms of being an, ed- an editor. He first worked under Larry. And I said, you know, you never see Larry at the conventions. And he said, he goes, I think Larry's been in three conventions in the last 60 years. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. I'm like, that's kind of interesting. He goes, no, he's just a private guy and everything. And it reminded me that when um, – Batman uh, artist uh, from the 70s and 80s. and uh, God, Bill Braver, no, no, no. Oh, uh, Jim Perro. Jim Perro, exactly. Who, thank you, my man. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, when he finally came to San Diego and he like was at a, you know, a, a spotlight and so many people came up and said nice things and he started crying. Yeah. And he's like, I, I never knew, you know, and that's like insane. It's like, my oh, God, man. dude, you're the you're one of the signature Batman artists. Exactly. He he was like the look of uh, Brave and the Bold for the longest time. Oh, my God, yeah. Back when Batman and Wildcat were getting together and yeah, the yeah. I mean, that's that's my early Jim Aparo stuff. And and great Charlton comics before he even got to DC. You know, it yeah. was Giordano that brought him over to DC. But yeah, it was like Neil Adams and Jim Aparo were like the two great Batman artists. So no, it's it's cool and it, and it's you know it's interesting though the people that you know yeah you the you hope to get a chance to say thank you before it's too late. Yeah. You know, and that's why I was like with Larry Lieber. I'm like, wow. And people don't realize how much Larry Lieber does. You know, he draws the Spider-Man comic strip. Mm-hmm. 
You yeah. know, it's stuff like that. And, and you know, it's like you, you break it down. It's like, you know, technically one of the creators of Thor, Larry Lieber. Yeah. Because he's – I mean, he didn't he didn't come up with the concept, but he scripted it. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to – you got to – his name better be there along with Stan. And uh, if it was Jack, if not Don Heck, I forget which uh, – or Warner, or maybe Warner Roth. I am so bad with creator names. On I don't, that kind I'm, of stuff. I'm yeah. not sure, but yeah, you know. So another reason to come to the cons is, is to absolutely. Do that. It's just it's amazing how much the uh, the industry changes from year to year. Because I mean, again, a year ago, I think the the crowdfunding space was a little bit different. I think certainly the frequency of release for comics was different. We're getting to where it's like every other week stuff's coming out. And to me, do you think Marvel's going to fall suit follow suit on that? Marvel's done it first i mean yeah, i'm getting like an issue of iron man every the week it feels like well that's that's true they are they are spread over a couple different titles though right uh no is it I just mean, there are time because the way my my podcast works is i am recording one weekly comic spotlight and we've picked the next two that we're doing or we're picking two out so it feels like what we're about to pick it's like wait we're reviewing that tonight let's not pick that for for two weeks out wow I mean, they've they've got a quick cadence. It's every two or three weeks on a lot of books, and to me, that's the big difference with Rebirth is going twice monthly on these books. You know, and where you were saying earlier how they had a, a big uh, influx of readers and stuff with New Fifty Two, and it went down. Well, it's because you can only sa- you can sample everything, but you can only keep getting so much, right? And that'll be different this time. But again, it's just a difference in every year. There's some subtle changes, sometimes big changes again, like the frequency and number of titles. But there's still that audience, there's still that demand, there's still that uh, hunger for just new material and different stuff. It's it, it, it's one of the things that I find very interesting coming to con is just what are they pushing, what are they expecting has worked, what are they what do they think is going? Well, and I I it's going to be interesting actually. I guess tomorrow I'm going to. Are you going to the breakfast tomorrow for DC? No, I wasn't planning. All right, that, I'm, there's there's a nine o'clock on on. Thursday and Friday. It sounds like the same kind of stuff they were doing at the retailer summit. Okay. But I think this is more for the press. The, um, uh, I, I wonder, I mean, certainly Marvel is moving a lot of their announcements now to D23. Makes sense. The Disney, uh, Disney thing convention. in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and that's, and also for years, it seems like as much as they do announce here at Comic Con and stuff that they're holding stuff off, uh, they would do stuff in Chicago, they would do stuff at Fan Expo. Uh, and, and announce around Comic Con and not as much at Comic Con because it gets drowned out by exactly. I was gonna say, the TV it's lost and movie. In the and, you know, yeah. So, you know, it's and, and certainly like this week leading up to Comic Con, Dynamite's been uh, spewing a lot of announcements. Boom has been spewing a lot of announcements. Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of stuff gets announced before, during, and after. And it's just right. a, a, a media blast happening yeah. at that point. I find it impossible to keep up on my email this time. Oh, to- oh my God. I got off the airport or the airplane. To come here, and there were 63 emails waiting for me since this morning. And yeah. I'm like, oh, all right. Crap, 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 crap. That's interesting. Crap, crap, crap. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh, this well. I got to read now. This I can put off for a couple of weeks. That I just, I'll file it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then the huge mistake, and I'm glad that I've started to see it on social media. A lot of creators going, hey, young wannabe creator, big idea. Do not try to start your Kickstarter around Comic-Con. Because it's a huge mistake. Because no one, no one cares. It's uh, our focus is elsewhere. Everyone's focus is elsewhere. Not a good idea. So, and and I'll still get a few people. Hey, can we talk? And it's like, no, I'm sorry. July is Comic Con. 
Uh, well, I'll probably have some time in mid-August, but uh, I've my, had my a couple of things. dance hey, card is full. Can we talk about this? It's like, I no, not right now. Yeah, just can't. Yeah. Too too busy. Far too busy. Well, there's the prep for Comic-Con. There's Comic-Con. There's the recovery from <laughs> exactly. Comic-Con, which is, I think, longer than all the rest. Yeah. That's true, too. Do you, how, do you go right back to work on Monday, or do you... Uh, Oh, no, no. Monday we start – well, actually – Oh, that's right. You guys take the long trip back. You guys we, always do the, the, yeah, the road trip. This time we're going up to uh, uh, Anaheim for SIGGRAPH. What's SIGGRAPH? It's a, uh, a graphics convention. Oh, that's interesting. all the uh, uh, autom- uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and just 3D graphics and stuff, all their big announcements. Wow. Are. So cool. like one of the, the booths that used to be here, Smith Micro, that was doing Poser and Manga Studio. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It, 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 the show didn't work out well for them. SIGGRAPH is right nearby, or time-wise. So yeah. That's their target market, so they're going there. Oh, so that makes sense. I'll check them out there then. Interesting. Wow. So Man, Katie Cook was telling me, I saw her in the, in the lobby, that right after this, she's going to a Honolulu Comics convention. Wow. I'm like, boy, that's... But you know what's funny? She's like, I hate the sand. I hate the water. Oh, God. I, you know, I'm like... Katie, Jesus, it's not island paradise, literally. And she's like, well, my husband likes it. I'm like, well, well, that'll be nice. But that's one of the other things that's changed a lot over the years. It's getting to where not only there's so many conventions, but they're like right on top of each other. I, well, that's the thing. Seriously, man. That's Although, again, it's Honolulu, so and I don't blame them. And I'm sure a lot of creators are like, all right, do I want to deal with another San Diego or do I want to go to Hawaii? Tough I think, choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When, Especially if they're being invited. Oh, yeah. They've flown over. We noticed with the June convention we went to in Dallas that several of the guests were there for just one day. We're like, what's going on with this? We're used to San Diego. Were you here for the whole thing or something? And then I get Was it a wizard show, by the way? No. No. Okay. uh, Because I know uh, wizard shows. Same company that does Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah, Fan Expo. Sure. The guests were then flying off to D.C. and other conventions. conventions. They were doing two conventions that weekend. Same weekend. Wow. Hey, it, I don't Whatever. fault them for that at all. No, but yeah. I'm just stunned by the energy they have. And oh, also the you really got to read the websites in advance to know which day right. the person right. you want to see, see is going to be That's there. True. But it also shows what big, uh, you know, big industry the convention business has gotten to be. Yeah. I mean, not only is this convention huge, but New York is huge. Oh, no, they keep – yeah, they keep growing. They keep doing the – I agree. There is demand for this stuff. Oh, absolutely. Well, and again, look what TV and film are doing to – uh, create new new audiences and stuff. Oh, absolutely. No, and I mean I that's it. Uh, yeah, it cracks me up at work. I, I really went from being the oddball to all of them going. You know, my I'm fine. I'm watching Flash with my kids. What yes. can you tell me about this character? <laughs> I have a, one coworker in particular who's always pestering me to get current on Agents of Shield. I've she got has one questions as well. on that. I've got one as well. You know what's going on here? I've got others who are that's asking hilarious. about this, that, and the other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's funny, and I mean that's that's great, and that's excellent. That's wonderful, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean. If it spills into comics, that's fine. It's 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 interesting because obviously I think there is a little disappointment. I'm sure there's just a teeny bit of disappointment that it isn't general. I certainly find it interesting that it would take like half of a percent of the people who buy like the Blu-ray or whatever to like double the comics in. Oh, yeah. And it's just not happening. But it, to my mind, it's like when I was watching Super Friends as a kid. I wasn't then turning around and necessarily – well, actually, I probably was buying the comic. Well, I was going to say I was. Yeah, man. But even if I was It wasn't, led me to the comics. It, it led me to the comics eventually. You know, people who are watching that X-Men cartoon on Fox in the 90s may not have bought an X-Men cartoon then or a comic then, but it made them much more predisposed. So now we've got an audience that is completely prepped and excited about this material, accepting of these properties. Sooner or later, they will come. And either to the print stuff or to the digital, which seems to have leveled off. Yeah, that's been interesting. 
and I and it's not just comics. I noticed uh, e-books as well. Yeah. And I I mean I'll tell you I've got my uh, right there. I got my I got my Kindle Fire right there. Yeah. I really appreciate the convenience of mm-hmm. digital comics and digital. Well, and that's also where like the uh, Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited comes into play because that's something I'm just waiting for that doorbuster special to kind of kick me over the edge and sign up for that thing. But I've got a number of coworkers who they're able to be casual comic fans. Oh, Civil War movies coming out. I should go read the old Civil War stuff. Boom, it's all right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah. great. No, I agree. And it's it's interesting that DC is still held off and not done a similar subscription model. I think it's it's think? good that they don't, because if they did, I would sign up for that. Weekly comic spotlight would probably do a six month hiatus and then uh uh industry revenue would plummet as I go all digital. <laughs> <laughs> Literally at that point for about 20 bucks or less a month, I'd be able to get everything digitally versus the amount I'm spending now, which is more than 20. How much of a lag is there for Marvel Digital to six months? It's six. It's only six months. Yeah. It's only one story arc. Interesting. I've got a a coworker or not coworker, a co-host, Sam, who's, who's reading a lot of Marvel stuff. Sure. Oh no, I have a couple coworkers who do the same and they're thrilled and it's like, oh no, I'm really catching up and, uh, and now they love it. They, and it, and it's a great deal. It it's is an I mean, amazing you know, deal. So I know I mean, every now and then I, I keep, uh, you know, I missed the Father's Day one and I should have taken advantage of it then. So believe me, I know what you mean. Um, although I have to say when I go to the store, I am supporting more indies than I am. Uh, than I am the big two. Really? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Okay. And I'm very particular. I mean, I, I like crime comics. I'm surprised I hadn't heard about that Garth Ennis book. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's most it's a lot of it is uh, I like Aftershock. I think Aftershock's been a very impressive. They've been doing some good new stuff. Uh, publisher. Yeah, um, Replica was really good. I'm a little behind on Super Zero. Looking forward to Captain Kid and Lifespanners. I think is the other one. Revisionist oh. uh, is in it. Yes, um, I I I'll tell you, I was never a Valiant person. I checked out of comics when Valiant was happening, mm-hmm. but the level of talent made forced me to kind of pay attention to Valiant in a lot of ways. And it is more of the, uh, it's, it's more of the, uh, side stuff like divinity. I really mm, loved, yeah. uh, what, uh, Kent did with that. They're doing a lot of things that can be seen either as superhero stuff or as not superhero right, stuff. They're exactly. right there on the peripheries of that, that genre, which well, is and, great. And they got that Chinese film money yes. coming in. Man, when that kicks in. And well, that's what I was going to say. Exactly. The, the Harbinger bloodshot war type stuff as yeah. movies. Yes. That's when I, think we may see valiant go from yeah they published to oh that's valiant we'll see that's what's interesting it's a it's an interesting gamble because that's the flip side of the tv and film success of of warner brothers and yeah. disney when there are like-minded pro- uh films and television that don't have big names and they you know they they there's that kind of indifference to them. Well, you've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe and that game plan they've had that DC right. has tried to just replicate and shortcut right but with Valiant, the plan they seem to have, at least for the initial few movies from what I've seen, mirrors what they did in the comics. So they've got the storyboards, the whole game plan already written out and kind of proven out through the comic side. So if it could work great. It could it could be a swing and a miss. It could be too late by the time the movies come out. Maybe the bubble has burst on the, 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 the number of superhero things we've got out there. Well, that's, I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know if... Because people are going to point at that and say, well, yeah, people are getting sick of superhero movies or whatever. And I'm like, no, I think they just hold out for the good ones and the, and yeah. the ones that they think are going to be the good ones. And if it's an unknown, unknown, you know, quantity that, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to do. I don't think we've got the bubble bursting as a real possibility like the Western genre, the romance stuff, the right. musicals. And oh, by the way, I want to point out, as I always do with Westerns, 
it took 70 to 80 years for the, <laughs> for the bubble to finally burst. Yes, yes. So, you know, let's hope that we get a quarter of that. Well, and also, I think it got to the point where they ceased to be relevant because, I mean, people aren't riding horses anymore kind of a thing. It's, well, but yeah, but they weren't riding horses in the 50s. At their zenith in the early 60s. True. Actually, I think TV killed the film Western because it all kind of went to TV. Yeah. And yeah. there was that period in the very late 50s and very early 60s when no, there were literally like 40 television Westerns at the same time. But didn't Westerns appeal to the people whose grandparents told them stories about probably. when that was my life? Yeah, probably. You yeah, still to had- a degree. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, my, my, my Greek you know, immigrants weren't, you know, uh, out on you know on the western trail or anything like that but that's you're sketching irish people sure (laughs) well but no but my point is that i think the western started dying off when the audience not only couldn't relate to it personally but they weren't getting the family stories that gave them the relate that's interesting you didn't have the the grandparents telling the stories you didn't have well you guys were from that western uh you know area so that's true but again, yeah. you know, I'm in, I'm in Chicago, and yeah. you know, exactly. I mean, we you know, we had the immigrant story happening and stuff. So I don't know, I don't, but that's a that's that's probably that might be true from from your region. I don't know. That's interesting. I, I just think with the superhero stuff, it's enough science fiction based, and you look at the technology explosion we've had right. in terms of cell phones and, and yes. the internet and stuff. It's very relevant. It, right, it we're makes growing sense. with it. We're exactly. growing with it. No, I agree with that. Another thing too about westerns, and now it just and again, my tapioca brain just made it go away. Come on, John. What was it again? We oh, I know what it was. Um, the early 70s on television, all of a sudden, there was a huge push for less violence mm. in both police and Westerns. It literally killed the Wild Wild West. The Wild Wild West was only three seasons old and a very popular show. Yeah. But it came from the Nixon administration, toned down the violence on TV, and CBS canceled a hit show because they're like – all right, well, if we do that, then there's really no story. Yeah. Because it was an action adventure story. So, and Gunsmoke became, especially in its final years, much more of a family drama than mm-hmm. it was showdown on the, on the street and stuff. So, so yeah, I kind of think that's, that's another thing that it, it kind of in the same way mm-hmm. that uh, Wortham's influence on, on comics kind of, you know, hurt comic books in the, in the forties and fifties. Fundamentally changed. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think it might have been that. I think that's a contributing thing, but who knows? Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. The pendulum swings back and forth on those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Certain genres come and go. I, I always find it fascinating where the, the, the twists and turns go. From oh my God. It's, industry. you know, I'm, I feel the same way. And, you know, before comics, boxing obsessed me for a very long time, 16 years. And it was just watching what was going to happen next was always part of the appeal. And that's why I'm as interested in the geek culture because literally I believe we are only – if we're not at the dawn, then we're still in the salad days. Yeah. I don't think we've reached the zenith. I don't think we've reached the zenith yet. I don't think we've reached peak geek as uh, Rob Salkowitz would say. No, not at all. Not at all. It's still coming. I think so because – You know, Mar- Warners is just getting started with all their stuff and once they get their house in order, yeah, watch out. They've got it. They got it down in TV. Honestly, I would just – you know what I do? I'd fire, I'd fire everybody. I'd hire Berlanti and Guggenheim and uh, all these guys and 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 women that are uh, uh, producing uh, Supergirl and Flash and you know all these all these shows and and throw them at the movies. I mean now everyone's yeah, but you know Berlanti was involved in Green Lantern. It's like yeah, he was one voice of six. Yeah. Well, and look what he's done since. Exactly. I think he learned lessons. Exactly. Exactly, man. Hey, Favreau said that. Favreau's like, I could not have made Iron Man if I hadn't made Zathura and a couple other movies before it to understand what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I, and absolutely, and Loeb will tell you the same thing because he learned a lot from heroes mm-hmm. that he could apply and, okay, this is what we don't do with these Marvel shows as, as we yeah. move forward. No, there's, there are lessons to be learned. Absolutely. And that reminds me, next time I talk to Loeb, I'm going to have to ask him and go, all right, give me some serious lessons. What did you learn? Yeah. That yeah. would be awesome. So he's I'd love great. to hear that. I, you know, and it's, it's just, he's a guy. And again, the two, the difference between the two companies, I could pretty much talk to anybody I want with Marvel except Dan Buckley. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why Dan is, Dan's just like, he, he gets nervous on, on, and that's fine. Yeah. I get it. Some people are that way, but, but, uh, Jeff is great that way. And it's really, it's great that we've got somebody like Jeff making these shows because he's a fan too. Yeah. And he is willing to say, and, and I can literally go, isn't this awesome that you're doing this? And he's like, yeah. And, and, you know, and like, you know, this is great. Well, when you've got so. the people with the, the right talent and that passion, for the, the enthusiasm material, for the material. Yes. That's when you get just some great stuff. And we're getting so much of it now. We've got the the Star Wars movies. We've gotten the first of a whole bunch that we're going to get. I mean, to, to even think we're close to peak geek at this point, I just I don't see. It. I'm surprised as we're recording this. You know, they've already announced that there's going to be a fourth Star Trek movie from JJ, mm-hmm. and that at first surprised me. But then it's like, well, that's based on the strength of this movie, I guess. That seems to be the case at least yeah. from a Paramount standpoint. So maybe they've finally gotten it right. I mean, again, we'll know. I'm sure by the time this comes out, the movie will be out, unless you're going to put it out tomorrow. No. <laughs> But I'm uh, gonna do it that quick. How quick are you gonna watch it next week? Are you gonna go see the movie? Um, uh, we're gonna see the movie probably when we get back home, so maybe nice. another week or two. That's, that's cool. That's on the list. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a big Star Trek fan. Me too. I'm taking I'm taking off uh, till next Wednesday, so I'm sure like once I've decompressed, probably. Yeah. I always have to tease John. The most exotic place he ever walked around was Romulus. Uh, our dad uh, Romulus. Romulus. Yeah. You know the cafe that uh. Picard and uh, Data waited for uh, Spock at. Yes. We, we've been there. Where is it? It was on the Paramount lot. It oh, was that's only there great. for a couple of days. Oh, that's fantastic. We actually got a set tour uh, one wow. time. Wow. We cool. got to go on the, the, the transporter uh, pad. Nice. Uh, couldn't go onto the, the, the bridge. bridge of the Enterprise because it was, again, Nimoy's there. Okay. It's like, okay, I get you got to lock certain things in. I get that. I respect that. That's huge. Uh, yeah, but going Did through. you do the Vegas? Go, no, go ahead and finish. And then oh, I'll ask we you. did some of Deep Space Nine, some of the other standing sets, the, the cave. They oh, had, that's all great. That kind of stuff. Wow. Uh, we've been to the Star Trek experience. We didn't go do the full thing, but we did that uh, a couple of years back. Uh, we yeah, went no, through well, Vegas one time. On the okay, because when I would get to go uh, cover boxing mm. uh, in Vegas, I would always, uh, and it luckily was there until, you know, probably late Sunday afternoon. So the fights were Saturday night usually. Mm-hmm. So after I was done with all the fights and stuff, I would make time. I would get all my bags, cool. go to the Vegas Hilton, go through the experience, get drunk at Quarks, there you which go. was fantastic. Have a warp. They had a drink called the Warp Core Breach. It was like a rum punch. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. And uh, they did have the the full sized uh, Enterprise D bridge. All right, as part of it. Well, a couple and years it was back great. at the Aerospace Museum here. They had uh, the bridge. Oh, that's cool. And I also I know right now in New York. The, 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 and I don't know if it's, I think it's actually the New Voyages, okay. uh, fan film, mm. ah. James Cowley's, okay, uh, okay, which is like authentic to the, the T. Yeah. Again, I mean, as we were saying earlier with the fan films, oh, yeah. the quality they do in the reproduction Absolutely. sets is unbelievable. So yeah, I'm kind of hoping it'll still be there in October when I'm, when I'm out there for, uh, New York Con or wherever and I can cool. make a pilgrimage. But yeah, that was, uh, that was my uh, that that's my biggest moment was yeah just uh, going to the Star Trek experience and doing the, doing it. I I only did it when it was the next generation one. I never did it when it was Voyager. In the mm-hmm. I can understand that. I, I didn't care. That. I mean, I like Voyager. I like Voyager too, but Next Gen was really 
I think, one of the peaks for Star Trek. Oh, I, I'll be honest. I think Deep Space Nine was as well. Yeah. Because I really think it asked tough questions. Like the way it tackled religion and religion's place in society. And, yeah. You know, and, religion a lot. And it had world building. I mean, well, the, yes. the, the number oh, of absolutely. characters they built up. Well, and, and literally world building in terms of you were introduced to Bajor. You were introduced yeah. to Cardassia. And the way they played with all the other aliens. And especially Bajor being a very reluctant, not, oh, great. Yeah, let's join the Federation. Wait a minute. We don't know if we want to join the Federation. Yeah. And, and the uh, complicated characters, including Kira and – uh, Louis Fletcher, Kai Wynn. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like, yeah, what do you do when the Pope is against you? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. and that's, it's real. And also that the Pope's a false prophet. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. That was, no, I, I thought Deep Space Nine was incredible. I, I told Avery Brooks that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't care, John. Oh. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He was nah, awesome. It's classic. He wouldn't let me buy him a drink though. Oh, man. But it was great because he, he, he totally like Cisco'd me and he's like, John. You don't need to buy me a drink. We're having a lovely conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, he was awesome. I'm looking forward to the new TV show, uh, for Star me Trek. Me too, man. Are you going to, are you going to, so you're going to do CBS All Access as well? I almost am. certainly. I, am. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, at this too. point, I'd like to know the premise, the time frame, little details about the show other than it's Star Trek. But, you know, yeah. I'm I trust Brian Fuller. I got to be honest, man. I yeah. love pushing daisies. I, I, everything he wrote, and he was a good Star Trek writer too. And I, by the way, they're giving him way, way too much credit. He was a good Star Trek writer. Mm-hmm. He isn't like, you know, this isn't Harlan Ellison stepping down. Or even, well, and actually they've yeah. got, they do have, however, um, Nicholas Meyer coming on the show as a, as a consultant and mm. everything. And that makes me happy. And I think he as an outsider contributed some amazing yes, Star Trek. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, but no, I'm, I'm confident. I, I think the right people are doing this show. I think and, so. And that's why based on what I'm hearing about the fourth movie or, or that they're going to make a fourth movie, Simon Pegg probably nailed it. And you know, he's one of us. He yeah. is. Uh, the fact that he was writing it, I mean. Yeah, that made us all like, okay, well, there's a chance. But I got to be honest, that first trailer, I was like, yeah. It felt very fast and furious and that the director <laughs> influence was a little heavy. But if it's fun. Well, and I keep hearing that, no, that like the characters have serious arcs. It plays like an original series episode. And if all that's true, then that's all you need to do for me. Absolutely. I was just so, were you let down by the second movie? No, I loved it a lot. Really? Star Trek Into Darkness? Yeah. I, I, I felt let down. I'll be honest with there you. There were a couple of things here and there with a little ludicrous or whatever, the, the beaming across galaxies or whatever, but they oh, just set see, that up. No, you know, that or even the Enterprise going underwater, none of that, none of the science bothered me. Okay. Because that's fun. Yeah. And, but you know, that, but that said, the, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, believe me, we're balloon audiences have heard this more than enough times. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bore your audience with it. I'll tell you okay. But, but it is more like just character driven. And also at the end of the day, Zachary Quinto, I'm not crazy about him as Spock. Yeah, I like it. I liked how they had, they paid homage to the, uh, the, the Wrath of Khan stuff and went in a different direction yet had parallels. They're respectful of the history while charting new ground. I, yeah, no, I, I know that was the intent. That's what I like. But I, I felt like, you know, they tried too hard with the fan service. Yeah. I can see that too. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk stuff. off the air about that. Absolutely. So, we yeah. can wrap if you want. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think, I think we're at a good yeah, conversation. Right. I agree. I'm looking forward to the convention. I'm hoping I survive it this year as always. As uh, as I do as well. And I appreciate it. I also appreciate your Jay Garrick uh, t shirt. I'm assuming that is that a Jay Garrick t shirt or is that a Captain Marvel t shirt? It's a Captain Marvel t shirt. I'm going to, in my mind, it's still a Jay Garrick. Jay Garrick would be upside down. The lightning comes up from the bottom. That's interesting. Is that true? I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to look you're at my GSA to, comics. You're and gonna then have verify to look that, that one up. Then I see. Because right. I and I was just gonna say that I, I know the lightning bolt's a little bigger on on Jake Eric. That I think it almost goes up to the neck. 
It goes up to the neck, but it starts wide at the base and to the point at the top. You see, what I'm going to do is it's a it's a, a red, you know, Shazam T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have it and just kind of arc it a little when I go by the Bandai booth and say it's Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> just do the curved lightning bolt kind of all thing. All right. All right. That's fine. Well, dude, a pleasure as always. Uh, yeah. Good seeing you both, and uh, thank you. And Glad we uh, could do this. Absolutely, and uh, we'll, we'll touch base at the next con. Sounds good. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.